Welcome everyone to the Random Anx Podcast. My name is Justin, and as always, I have my co-host with me, Mark. Hey guys, how's it going? Today is December 30th, and we're on episode 14 of our podcast, and we want to welcome you all to listening to this episode, and hopefully you, you guys had a great Christmas, great holiday season, and we're wrapping up the year with this episode and moving into 2018. So we're looking forward to all the nerdy stuff that's coming out next year and also spending time uh, podcasting about it and hopefully meeting some of you and just expanding our audience and, you know, having a good time. So, but first we're going to close out with this episode and close out 2017. Uh, Some of the things we have on tap for you this time are uh, a new gaming convention that we might be attending next year, as well as talking about The Crown Season 2. Mark got a new video game that we'll be talking about, uh, The Darkest Dungeon. So we want to welcome you and invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So first off, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Salt Lake Gaming Con and what our plans are for that this coming year. So uh, Mark is the gamer of the two of us, and he started doing some research on some of these gaming conventions that are, are here in Utah, and he he looked up a couple of them. So why don't you tell us what you found? Yeah, so <clears throat> uh, I've heard of the gaming con, the Salt Lake Gaming Con. Uh, I really wanted to go to last year, but it just didn't happen. Uh, I'd spent my money, went to FanX, went to Comic-Con, um, or I can't say that anymore, Salt Lake Comic <laughs> Convention. Right. I went to that one. Use proper... <laughs> terms now or get sued. I, if I say that, yeah, San Diego will come at me, especially if, if I bring a car. So I um, <laughs> uh, saw that one, and they had some really neat things going on there. They had a lot of video game tournaments, Overwatch, uh, League of Legends are probably the most known games. Uh, you know, they do Hearthstone tournaments, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! I, I never got into the Yu-Gi-Oh! That kind of came after I was done with the card games uh, magic the gathering they have you know stuff like that there um D, obviously i'm sure they have war warhammer 40k going on um a lot of different things there and it looked really neat i really want to go to it and this next year i'm i'm really determined to go uh last year they had uh, a lot of uh special guests come in um i'm big league of legends fan they had scara come in he uh, is a big League of Legends guy. Uh, Shifter as well. He's from, he played on Echo Fox. Um, not a lot of people know this. Echo Fox is actually a team uh, that – do you remember Rick Fox, old basketball guy? Yeah. So Rick Fox owns that team. Ah, interesting. So, yeah, so uh, Shifter played for uh, Echo Fox as so far as I know. A- there's. Rick Fox played for the Lakers, right? When yeah, the yeah, old, yep, yep, old Lakers guy, and uh, um, so Echo Fox is part of the LCS, which is the League Championship Series. It's kind of their upper echelon players mm-hmm. that play for you know the championships, World Championships, things like that. Uh, so they brought a couple guys down. They had had a lot of different. Um, other people, Jennifer Hale, if you know her, you know she plays uh, voiceovers in some games. Uh, who else was there? Uh, Jason Hayes was there. He's a, a video game composer. He did a lot of music for like Diablo, 
um, StarCraft. I think he did some Warcraft things like that. So, I mean, you know, for those that, you know, follow those, you know, they're uh, people. It's definitely some celebrities that come. And it just looks pretty fun. Uh, you know, a lot of tabletop games going on, which is nice because uh, I am, I'm always looking for fun tabletop games. You know, something new. I uh, kind of get bored of the same ones over and over and over. Uh, and then I actually ran across this one. I'd never heard of this one before. It's called SaltCon. And uh, it's it's scheduled for March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th this year. Uh, it's up here in Layton, uh, in Layton, Utah. I say up here because I live in Ogden. But uh, it's up here in Layton. And it uh, looks north. like they have reasonable prices. It's, you know, pretty much $35 a day. Or you can buy a full convention um, – a full convention pass, yeah, for $60. And it looks like, just looking at it, and I, I don't know anything of this. So if anybody's ever been to this, please comment, tell us more. <laughs> but um, it looks like it, it's just tabletop games, straight tabletop games, like millions of them. I, I mean, uh, and that's kind of what I can see from here. So there's a couple good options for anybody out there that likes, you know, this kind of thing, likes to look at new tabletop games. Uh you know, let us know if, if you've been there. Tell us more about them, and and uh, and if you've never been to one, you should come. I think Justin and I are going to go to the Salt Lake Gaming Con. Um, I think it's going to be sometime in July. We're we're going to plan to go. So, yeah. uh, but that's kind of why I looked uh, and found. So it looks pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I knew more about them to give more information. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm sure after I go to one, I'll, I'll be able to tell you lots more about it. Yeah. Yeah, the Salt Lake Gaming Con seems more um, flashy and more like Salt Lake Comic Con, Comic Convention, uh, except for games, um, video games, tabletop, you know, whatever, what have you. And then the Salt Con looks more traditional gaming. So, um, I th- yeah, I think we'll definitely go to Salt Lake Gaming Con. It's here in the Salt Lake area while Salt Con is up north of Salt Lake. But I'd be interested in going to both once we get more info on Salt Con. So... Yeah, a lot of good gaming options, and let's see how it goes. Uh, I know we mentioned earlier about uh, Rick Fox, the ex-Lakers player, and his team. I know one of the current jazz players, Utah jazz players, um, Jonas Jerebko, he owns a professional gaming squad team, whatever the term is. But I'm not sure which... It might be League of Legends, but I'm not sure which, um, you know, game and what what kind of team it is. So we'll have to look into that more as well. But it's mm-hmm. pretty cool that uh, some NBA players are, you know, branching out and getting into the gaming, putting their money into some of the gaming franchises. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's not even that. There, I know that there's a couple other teams that are new this year to the LCS mm-hmm. in uh, for League of Legends. Um, that are owned by NBA teams. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see which ones. Oh, so it looks like Hundred Thieves. They're new. They're new uh, to the LCS. Now, for people that don't know what the LCS is, I kind of mentioned earlier. They're the championship group of League of Legends. League of Legends is legitimately the biggest online game right now in the world. <laughs> um, 
<clears throat> and generally you have teams like Cloud9 or Team Solo Mid that have uh, generally you know ran the North American League. Uh, so there's some new teams this year that have entered the LCS. Uh, there's one team that's called 100 Thieves, and they're owned by the Cleveland Cavaliers. Huh. Interesting. Uh, and then there's Optic Gaming. Um and I'm not sure who they're owned by. Uh, Clutch Gaming is owned by Houston Rockets. Hmm. And the Golden Guardians uh, is owned by Golden State Warriors. Yeah. And it looks like, yeah, those are the four teams that kind of got in. So interesting yeah. um, to see these teams, you know, like uh, getting involved in, in the professional gaming world because generally, you know, Gaming, you know, athletic gaming and gaming for nerd gaming has been yeah. such complete opposites. You don't ever see those two mix. So it's been it's pretty neat. I think I think it, it's doing a lot to legitimize uh, online gaming in yeah. America. I bet that opens up a whole new fan base for for both options, right? The the like with the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors being the NBA champions the last three years. You know how much has that affected their championship uh their lcs you know teams you know how many mm-hmm. people are going to those teams because they're cleveland cavaliers fans or golden state warrior fans and how many people playing those games are now cleveland Clav- cavaliers fans so that's i think that's a smart move on on that, their part to be able to do something like that oh yeah yeah it um it, it'll about, be interesting um, Jer- jonas derebko is his team listed there um, let me look. I might have to do a little search real quick. Oh, okay. Because um, that's something, I mean, if I was looking to get into it and like, oh, there's a guy on my favorite basketball team who owns a team, I'm going to go look at his team and probably join up on that one just to support him, right? So mm-hmm. there's probably a, a lot of fans in the, you know, the Utah area perhaps that are doing the same thing. So you can build off a, a fan base here in Utah. And so I think that's... Smart move. Oh, so he he owns the uh, it says the esport franchise Renegades. Now the Renegades did have an LCS team some time ago, and they only so the way the LCS works is you have to um, you have to qualify to be a part of, part of the LCS, mm-hmm. and I believe the top four teams. Uh, top four or six teams don't have to requalify, but if you don't enter in the top four or six, then you have to uh, do, do a qualifying series for the next um, split. And the splits are spring, summer, and fall splits. So there's three different splits each time. Now the Renegades, if I remember right, they only came in for one split. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they did too well. I mean, I think they won, you know, a couple games. I'm sure there's someone out there that could correct me. I remember watching them, but I wasn't a big fan. I'm a TSM fan. So, and then they dropped out. They didn't qualify for the next split. And generally when that happens, you'll see a lot of the top players. um, They'll either stick around for the, you know, for the next qualifying or they'll go get recruited somewhere else. Yeah. You know, they'll sign up. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense for him to sit there because I mean, these are the top players in the world. So, uh, when that happens, you'll see a lot of teams disappear and never come back. Okay. So, um, that might but have they happened with his team. Yeah, that 
and for the LCS, but it's a franchise. So the Renegade franchise actually, I, I believe that they um, they have teams in like Call of Duty and uh, different you know different games, Overwatch, I think, and I, I don't know 100%, but they do. There's a lot of other games that they get into. Um, I'm just trying. Oh yeah, it says right here that uh, the Renegade team uh, will compete in the Call of Duty World League Championships. So yeah, it looks like they do get in Call of Duty and other things. So it, there's when you have a lot of big franchise like that, they don't just compete in League of Legends; they compete in multiple games. Yeah, and these top players they get paid, right? Oh yeah. Um, so in I don't know how it works in other other sports. I can only talk about League of Legends, but they actually have a minimum salary every mm-hmm. year, and it's not uh, it's not great. I mean. 30, 40 grand a year might be a little less, you know, but they make a lot of money streaming and, you know, getting donations that way. I know that, uh, so for Team Solo Mid, I watch a lot of um, Bjergsen's streams. His name's Soren, Soren Bjerg, and um, he does streaming all the time. Tons of people are watching. People donate a dollar, five dollars, hundred dollars, whatever they want to donate, and he makes money that way. Okay. They also make money from signing uh, different um, deals, you know, just like a you know NBA player would sign a deal with you know Reebok or Nike or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll sign different deals with different gaming crews, and um, they also make money if they win their split, if they're the most valuable player, if they you know go to nationals. So you can make quite a uh, quite a bit of money. I believe, like a couple years ago, three or four years ago, the team that won the world championships won a million dollars. And uh, and I believe it's even more now. So I mean, these guys definitely make a living. Uh, most of them are younger, you know. I think ages sixteen on up, you know, sixteen to twenty four, right in there. Yeah. So they're younger younger people, but I mean, they make a living. Mm-hmm. They definitely don't do bad i'm i'm sure bjergsen he pulls in i this is my opinion i bet he pulls in over 250 grand a year every year for the last three or four years wow so that's big business so yeah i mean they they pay him and that's in america america is a pretty taboo place for gaming so if you take it to china or japan korea where the i mean gaming is serious business out there they have kids go to school specifically for gaming. I bet they get paid tons of money. I couldn't even I couldn't even put a number on it. I bet I bet it's big. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. I knew that some of the better players got paid, but I didn't really know the specifics of it all. And that kind of helps me understand a little bit better. So that's that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. It's interesting to do. They have like it's a all Mario Brothers it's team. Cool Say what? Do they have a Super Mario Brothers team? Like old <laughs> Nintendo Classic tournament. Uh, you <laughs> know, can do well it, at that. The only <laughs> the, the thing they do with that is um, they have speed runs. Is it what they call them? Uh-huh. And yeah, uh, you can beat the game. Yeah, and there's actually some. Uh, I know there's money out there to be made for being the <laughs> fastest, and I I've watched the ones on they have on youtubes and i've seen you remember the old old game punch out they have like crazy fast like 15 minutes speed (laughs) runs on that and i'm just like what in the world you know like (laughs) 
just blows my mind. So, so yeah, they do have speed run um, prizes and money out there for that kind of stuff. Yeah, but uh, that's cool. Video yep. games, you gotta love them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we'll be going to Salt Lake Gaming Con, possibly Salt Con, and that'll be this coming year, 2018. We'll we'll fill you in on on the deets when it gets closer and what you know what's going to happen at those conventions what exactly they have on tap so once that's posted online we'll probably figure it out and let you guys know uh, for those of you that don't speak slang deets means details i would i would the assume details yes the details Info. <laughs> i can't believe you said deets <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we'll give you the deets and the info and the 411. The 411. So anyway, yeah, if you're considering leaving our listening audience over that, uh, please don't. We won't use Deets anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Go to our website and vote for Deets for the word of the week. Yeah. All right. Um, so upcoming movies, there really hasn't been anything since The Last Jedi. I guess Jumanji, Jumanji came out the week after. I haven't seen it. Probably won't see it until it comes out on video. I'm just not that interested in it. But it looks it looks interesting. I heard it's funny. So, I mean, I do want to see it, but I'm not going to go to the theater and watch it. So That has uh, The Rock in it, right? Yeah. The Rock and his new acting partner, Kevin... Kevin Hart? Kevin Hart. Yeah. They, yeah. I think it's like their third movie together. They're a good duo. Yeah, they, I mean, they, make they some play off stuff. each other well. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like you, I probably won't, I mean, I'm not going to go to the theater to see it, but I'll see it. Um, it hasn't done too well in theaters, but I think that's more because Star Wars is in theaters as opposed to, it's just horrible. Yeah. Yeah. As when theaters agreed to show The Last Jedi, there was some qualification that they had to keep it in so many theaters for so long, for so many months. So that limits, you know, other movies being shown and how often they're being shown. So I think it's. It is more of a, a fall fallout effect from that than anything. So, uh, any other movies? I know there's um, a show called All the Money in the World. That it looks really interesting. It's one. Of, it's uh, about Paul Getty. I believe it's Paul Getty. His last name is Getty. A big oil mogul whose grandson is kidnapped. And they want a huge amount of ransom money, and he he declines to pay it. So that's um, it's that's a movie that if it's not out, it came out just recently, um, and it's the one with Kevin Spacey that well Kevin Spacey was replaced like last month, right after those allegations regarding his uh, sexual escapades came out. Um, the movie was due out in a matter of weeks. So they cast another actor and refilmed all of Kevin Spacey's scenes in a matter of like nine days, I think I read, is what it was. So that's something Jeez. I'm interested in seeing. But um, again, because it's a slow-paced movie, or at least, you know, it's not like a big blockbuster, I'll probably just watch it at home at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Greatest Showman? Oh, yeah, yeah. I do want to see that. That looks really good. And... I mean, I didn't see too much in the form of, uh, um, what do you call that? Promote like a whole lot of promotional stuff yeah. from them. 
I think it's but, in like three trailers total. Yeah, but it looks great. I mean, if you haven't seen the Greatest Showman trailer, go look at it. It just looks good. It looks like it's a musical. It looks like um, has uh, Hugh Jackman in it, Zach, Zach Efron, um, a couple other names, Michelle Williams, Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, it, it looks interesting. Definitely looks really good. Uh, my wife and I saw that trailer, and she she wants to go see it. Um, yeah. And I, I'm definitely probably going to go see it in the next week or two. So if you've seen it, let us know a little bit about it without ruining too much. But that movie definitely does look good. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll go see that too, me and my wife. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think the biggest thing coming out of the, the movie world, Hollywood – Besides the Last Jedi and all that uh, controversy, which we'll get into later, but is the Disney and 20th Century Fox merger happened a couple weeks ago? I mean, that was rumored for a couple weeks, and then it happened. So, I think well, I think we brought it up earlier on one of our episodes, maybe two episodes ago. But it finally happened, and uh, that's that's a big deal. I mean, that's two major movie studios combining. Basically, you know, Disney's buying out all these major movie studios. And I wonder at what point it'll be considered a monopoly and they'll be sued for it. But, um, like, I can't believe nobody sued him yet for um, animation movies. DreamWorks mm-hmm. um, is owned by him, really? Lucasfilm Animations, owned by him. I don't know about um, DreamWorks. I think DreamWorks is Sony. Param- is it? I, I'm pretty sure I heard, I read somewhere. Pixar is Disney, was. Pic- obviously, but I don't know about DreamWorks. Uh, Pixar? Yeah, Disney owns Pixar. Well, I don't know if they own them, but they have exclusive distribution rights, at least, if they don't outright own them. Oh, so is that what they do now, is they call it distribution rights? Um, well, not with this merger. This is outright buying them. Oh, okay. Kind of like how Sony owns Paramount, but Paramount still distributes, you know, makes movies. Mm. So Interesting. I think it'll be something like that. Okay. So anyway, the ramifications of that, I mean, for the longest, well, probably the last two, three, four, five years, the big talk has been, you know, the X-Men franchise, which 20th Century Fox owns, as well as Fantastic Four, you know, those those comic book movies. You know, they were part of the Marvel Universe, but before Disney bought Marvel, Marvel had sold them just those properties, those IPs, to 20th Century Fox. And so the big dust-up was, well, we have this Avengers movie, but the X-Men aren't in it, the Fantastic Four aren't in it, and, you know, they are part of the Avengers, or they're part of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we're not seeing them, so what's up? And Disney was going to cancel if they didn't cancel or not Disney, Marvel, was going to cancel the Fantastic Four comic book series, just like one of the longest-running Marvel comic book series. They were going to outright cancel it because they couldn't buy it from 20th Century Fox. So there was this big back and forth between them, and then with Spider-Man coming into the Avengers just recently, I think it was last year, with you know Captain America Civil War, um, they had to make a strike an exclusive deal where... Um, you know, Disney and Marvel could use Spider-Man on loan. And I don't know what the specifics of the deal were, but it was kind of a big deal. So now Disney owns pretty much everything except for Spider-Man, which in some ways I think that's great 
because you want to see all these players together. You know, they've been playing off each other, been having adventures in the comic books for years, but we've never been able to see it on screen. So how's that going to play out now? I mean, you mm-hmm. can look at it as, oh, this is a great move. We finally get to see these characters together. Or you can see it as, you know, Disney owns everything, so there's no competition anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, um, I, I agree. It, it, I don't know. I like that they're bringing stuff together yeah. because I think that completes the story more, especially in, in stuff like, uh, you know, the Avengers, um, X-Men, Spider-Man, you know, they've all been just separated for so long and now, now you're able to start trying to bring them together, which is nice. Um, but I think it comes with a, a, a bad side. Um, you know, there, it could end up hurting itself. And um, I'll tell you what I mean. So okay. we posted, we posted uh, something like this on our uh, Random Inks Facebook page, um, talking about it when it was first announced. And uh, one of our followers asked us, you know, what are we excited about it? And I replied to him and I said, my take is that it's a bad thing. Uh, Disney already owns Pixar. I said DreamWorks. That might not be true, but I put DreamWorks, Lucasfilms, and Marvel Films. I said, too much for one company. The argument could be made that they put out great films. But from what I've seen, they don't do well in changing up their formula. They live and die by the saying, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Unfortunately, they take it to the point where it is so broke that you can never fix it. Case in point, Pirates of the Caribbean series. It was great and refreshing at first, and they kept, uh, but they kept the same jokes, the same characters, etc. You could guess what would happen before it, before it happened. You knew that the same joke was on its way, and when it happened, you gave a courtesy laugh to not feel left out from everyone else doing the same thing. You can see the same thing happening with the Marvel movies, and I'm praying it doesn't happen with Star Wars. And uh, you know, that's kind of my concern is that. You know, they, they do. I think that everyone can say when Pirates of the Caribbean came out, it was amazing. When the first Marvel movies came out, it was amazing. When, you know, certain Pixar movies came out, it was amazing. They, they did. But then they just keep the same things going on. Um, the biggest one, I think, is, is the pirate shows. It was always the same jokes, the same thing. Even in the new Pirates. You just there was saw a couple the new Pirates recently, right? Yeah, and I saw the new Pirates. I liked it. They, uh you know, I it definitely wasn't the worst one. Um, I enjoyed it, but you know, the first half of the movie was plagued with the same thing, the same type of jokes, the same type of scene written in a different, you know, a little bit different uh, background. You know, yeah. this it, it, it was the same stuff, and you see it in the Marvel movies now. The same jokes, you know, the same dumb laughing, the same yeah. whatever. And with Marvel, it's really obvious with these last two movies with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Thor mm-hmm. 3. I mean, it's carbon copies of the previous movie. And mm-hmm. uh, same formula, Ant-Man, even though it was a good take, it was very similar to what we've already seen. Um, Spider-Man was a little different, but a lot of the same type. It was kind of like, there's jokes on the internet about it being Iron Man 4. Because there's a lot of Tony Stark in there, right? Yeah, right. I mean, he was almost the hero for a second. Yeah. So, I mean, there isn't... I mean, there's new characters, but there's new... There's nothing new about the movie. 
It's this. Yeah, the ingredients are the same. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is the danger and the drawback of having Disney own everything because they're not being very um, creative. You lose creativity. Yeah. 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 You lose individuality, creativity, new stuff, new takes, new ideas. Uh, And that takes away from the film. It takes away from the film industry, I think, as a whole, because you're going to start in a uniform feel. And I don't want to go to the movies to feel like I've seen half the movie already. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what DC was trying to do initially. They Mm -hmm. were trying to be different and they were, and I thought it was a bold move and I thought it was a great move, but it's interesting that the public didn't think so. The, you know, the general moviegoer who's not interested in reading all the comics and learning all the backstories and all that stuff. They just want to go see a good movie. They didn't agree that those were good movies. A lot of backlash from man of steel, from Batman versus Superman, justice league. Mm -hmm. Um, but yet here you got Disney making the same cookie cutter movies and people love them. Well, and I wonder too if it's – so Justin and I read a lot of books. We go to a lot of book signings. So I'm wondering, you know, you and I, because we read a lot of books, we're used to a story being told that way. So when I watch a movie and it's told that way a little bit, I'm OK with it. Yeah. And there's a lot of story or a lot of this or a lot of that, but you don't get that in the Marvel films. And if people aren't reading a lot of books and are used to that kind of, you know, layout, I wonder if they don't, you know, that's why they don't like it. Um, that, and I've, I've read a couple posts about that, you know? Um, so I, I don't like it. And, and I worry for the star Wars franchise in general, you're going to put out a movie a year for who knows how long and how, how, how soon till it becomes that way. Yeah, you know, and this is a huge franchise. I mean, you could damage the franchise for good. Yeah, if if we can't change the ingredients, and um, so overall, it has a good some good stuff with it, bringing characters together with Disney. You know, trying to consolidate, but I think in the long run, it could be really negative. That's my take. Who am I, right? I'm Mark. I'm a professional. Listen to me always. I mean, right? Who, who knows? You know, but that, that's my take. And, you know, if you have an opposite, if you think I'm Mark, you're just crazy dumb, let me know. Tell me why. You know, I'd like to have more discussion about this because I want to see people's point of view, like if they really, really, truly think this is a good thing. Yeah. I'm kind of on the fence like you are. A lot of great potential bringing all these characters into the fold. Uh, but still, I'm hesitant to embrace it because of the past, you know, few movies that we've seen. Uh, I think what we need is some some good directors that'll push back on, you know, the executives saying, "Hey, this is how we want it to be," and the director will be like, "No, this is the story. This is what I'm going to do." So, mm-hmm. and everyone praised the Thor three director, Ragnarok director. I can't remember his name. Um, that it was a different movie and he did these cool things that we haven't seen before. And part of that's true. Um, I think there were some, a different take on things, but still overall from beginning to end, the movie was very similar to the other ones we've seen. So, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it yet still. I know don't hate me. I apologize. I really want to see it. I got a pregnant wife. She's pregnant with twins. I got a kid. It's, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm limited. I'm sorry, people. But uh, um, but I've seen some YouTubes about it. And like you said, it looks kind of different. But, 
it's the same ingredients. Yeah. Um, looks like the director was, uh, I don't know how to say his name, so if I butcher it, I apologize. Taika Waititi? Yeah, something like that. Taika Waititi. <laughs> He's from New Zealand, I believe, or one of those, you know, Southern Pacific Isles. But I thought I thought he brought a a new take on some things, and I mean Thor cut his hair, and he, you know, is there's some different things. I mean, I was glad to see some of the differences, but I mean, it wasn't as off the wall or out out of the box as their people were making it to be. So, mm-hmm. I think I think the last Marvel movie that truly came out that I was like, this was pretty good, like different good, was Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. All right, so yeah, we'll we'll keep our eye on this uh, merger and uh, we'll see you know, what direction it goes. Uh, when I recently watched Spider Man Homecoming, I bought the digital copy and watched it uh, over Christmas break. And one of the th- plots plot points in that film was they were selling Stark Tower. And Tony Stark was moving out, and they were going, you know, moving to the Avengers base upstate New York. Um, I don't think they ever really said who was buying it. Did do we know who who bought that the the Stark Tower in New York City? Because I have a theory. On um, it. let me look. Um, my theory is, um, uh, what's his name from Fantastic Four? Reed Reed Richards bought it. That that could be. I don't think it ever says. I, um, I don't think it says either. Yeah, I, but it, they they should have a plan for since it being a part of the movie. It's pretty. I mean, it's out there. It's a, a plot point, you know. That as they're leaving, uh, Michael Keaton's vulture, you know, hijacks it. So it's it's obviously, you know, been thought out as to what's going on there. You think maybe they'll do something with like could be the Osborns? Huh? Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Right? Because I mean, they're yeah. a big, they're that, a big that, rich family, and that would make more sense actually, mm-hmm. because he's part of the Spider-Man universe. So that could set up the the next Spider-Man. Yeah, and which would be not it would be cool, but if they do do it, you got to do it different because we've <laughs> we've already seen yeah. the Spider Man Osborn thing three different times now. So, <laughs> um, do it a little bit different. Um, that's probably one. Uh, I, may, I think there's one maybe could be. I don't know who else it could be like that's really in that world. Um, maybe like the Daily Bugle? Perhaps, yeah. We haven't seen anything from that in the new Spider-Man. Mm. And well, My thought was it was Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four crew because they have their own, you know, building, right? That they Yeah, it's the Baxter building, right? Yeah. And so my thoughts were... Yeah, you know, when we watched it in theater, I was like, "Oh, I wonder who's buying it." But then when they started talking about this merger, I was like, "Hmm, huh, I wonder if they have known for a few months now, and they've decided to, um, you know, start the process of bringing in the Fantastic Four to um, the Marvel universe that way." 
I think that's a scary, scary thought. <laughs> mostly because the other Fantastic Fours flop so bad. And I think they mostly <laughs> flopped, kind of like what Justin said, they mostly flopped because of a creative difference between the director and the executives. I don't oh, think yeah. they flopped. This last one, definitely. I mean, the director was Josh Trank. And I don't know what happened there. There was some controversy. But the executive producer of that is Simon Kinberg. And he's a Disney guy. He's a Marvel guy. I mean, he And it was weird to see how he had so much influence on a 20th Century Fox movie. He basically fired the director and recut the movie to what we got in the theaters, which is why it wasn't that good. And part of me thinks he sabotaged it intentionally. So it wouldn't make money, and so that you know Disney would have more leverage to buy 20th Century Fox or at least the Fantastic Four IP rights. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of conspiracy theorist type thinking, but I mean, why would something that big happen with no, you know, with no fallout? That's got to be the end goal for them, I think. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I, something fishy was going on. Something fishy did happen. But, uh, I mean, so it's, it's a scary thought because I think Fantastic Four is such a dynamic group yeah. and so fluid that you have to have somebody that directs – When if you bring them in, you have to have somebody that can be fluid with those characters, not like – you know, not be set – an idea and you're going to have that story no matter what it doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense it doesn't matter if these characters don't gel you're going to do it anyway and i think that's what is happening and um that needs to change if you're going to bring these characters back if you're not going to change that up don't bring them back because you're going to just ruin them even more yeah do you think if they do bring them back they should keep the actors from this last film from last year or two years ago, whenever it was, you know, I, I never, (laughs) my fault again. I never saw it. Um, I've read reviews on it. I've read good and bad. (laughs) Um, I've talked to you about it, Yeah, but I liked uh, the movie. I mean, it wasn't perfect. I mean, I think I'd give it a C plus B minus, but it had potential. And I think that's the Dr. Doom. They had the guy that played that was, was pretty good. And I okay. thought I thought the the individual actors in those roles were good. It's just the overall story was what suffered, and I think that was from all the edits they did. Yeah, um, from what I've seen of the cast, though, I think they're great. But I think if you bring them in, you need to you need to solidify some a little bit of backstory there. Because from what I've read about it, is that there are some big holes in 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 context, mm. and I think you would need to you know fill those gaps in because not a lot of people know. The Fantastic Four, you know, they're not a Superman. They're not a, um, a Captain America mm-hmm. where everyone knows the story. You grew up knowing the story. You went to bed knowing the story, right? Yeah. You dreamed being Superman and coming down an alien, you know, explosion, yada, yada. So, you know, I think it's important when these new characters come in that you, bre- you build context. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. I mean, I think... Uh, has a lot of potential, and that's one of the things I am looking forward to is, you know, them coming into the the Disney Marvel side of things. So we'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, moving on, uh, next up, there's a TV show 
that's been on uh, called The Crown, and we they're currently in season two with The Crown. And I haven't watched much of it. My wife has watched, been watching it, and so I've seen a, bits and pieces of episodes here and there. But you've been watching it, Mark? Yeah, no, I I I kind of stumbled into it last year uh, when season one came out, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was something that uh, I kind of delved into. I was excited for season two. It's not – this really isn't a whole big subject that we normally talk about because it's not like nerdy <laughs> as we normally do. But uh, I've enjoyed it. Um, it has Claire Foy in it. She is the – she plays uh, Queen Elizabeth and just kind of follows her uh, through her life. Um, I know that there's been some questions out there as far as accuracy goes about it but from what i've heard most of it is accurate so um i know so uh you said you know your wife rochelle um she's 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 here and she's gonna join in and give her two cents so introducing our special guest rochelle hey everyone (laughs) hey rochelle rochelle's my sister so everyone knows um, she's my older sister. That's how Justin and I know each other. Sorry, go ahead, Rochelle. No, I was just going to say, I, I think uh, The Crown, I, I've been doing a lot of research, too, as I watch the different episodes and, you know, checking to see what was accurate and what wasn't accurate. And most everything that I saw uh, that I checked, um, it did it did turn out to be accurate. I, I found it really fascinating to watch um, just the different rules that, that they, you know, the the royal family are required to play by, um, per se. I thought it was really interesting to see that they didn't, um, they did a great job of, at least, I mean, you know, not, not having experience with the royal family personally, you know, just being able to see what I can see from the show. But it did seem to really um, show the challenges that they face, you know, so it didn't make it seem like all rosy. I, you, you got to see... Um, in in season two, so season one, you know, was really about um, Elizabeth becoming the queen, and then you know her um, getting married, and and really starting the the whole um, her whole reign, right? And then season two moves into okay, so now they're married, now they start having kids. Um, you know, she starts participating, kind of participating in running the country because, I mean, it's not obvious what she actually does since the prime minister makes all of the political decisions and she just has to um, <laughs> kind of support him no matter what. So, you know, a couple scenes where you could clearly see she was not happy with with the prime minister choices but she said you know that that scene where she says you know the the crown always supports the prime minister um so i find i found that interesting so um it's kind of interesting too because throughout the especially the second season they keep you know they're almost making a point we are a constitutional monarchy we're here to look good yes right yeah yeah, this is this is kind of what I have. It, what the show really portrays a lot is how the the crown is there to be a monarchy, but they don't participate in in really much political. So, um, it, you know, there there is that line where the queen mother says, you know, first we um, ruled, 
now we reign and pretty soon we're going to do nothing, you know, because it, it almost seems like the entire season two is about um, is about them not losing the monarchy. Right. So they're, they're just so on such a. Um, a, a, a what do you call it? <laughs> Just like it's just such a fragile grounding, right? Because they don't know if they're going to have the monarchy. So many other states during this time got rid of their monarchies altogether. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting to see how fragile um, the whole monarchy is or was at that time. Oh, yeah. I I mean, in the world, so, you know, people care to read history and stuff. During the world at that time, you know, in their early, you know, 1900s to you know mid 1900s a lot of monarchies were displaced and removed uh throughout the world and and so you here you have the queen trying to hold on to her monarchy because i mean they didn't hold power like the other monarchies they were really just you know sat in a pedestal so out of everybody's monarchy they were probably one of the most fragile yeah yeah and uh so yeah it was interesting one of the things i kind of got from it uh, from the the difference between the two seasons that I liked is the first season she really seemed to be um, fighting the established you know the established running of the crown you know what the crown does and what's expected and how you know tradition has really determined what they're supposed to do and in the second season that kind of changed right it was a season of change with Philip you know coming into power you know more cuz he really advocated for change and now the second season almost seemed all about change it was like no you cannot have what you had in the first season you know your traditions are out of date and yeah. now we need to change them yeah well it's interesting too even even over the f- course of the different episodes we um, started out the beginning uh, where Philip had to go sort of go out to all of their colonies or whatever you call them and then, uh, you know, and try and get support. And then by the end of the season, you know, they had basically given up all of the colonies, including India. Mm-hmm. And and it was really, you know, um, this this sort of globalism that they used to have or the colonialism that they used to have was gone. And now it's just about reigning in the UK, um, which, you know, so the huge transition there. And then, and then the influence of the reporter, you know, him, uh, you know, (laughs) as it turned out how he, you know, they showed that, um, you know, she didn't want to do anything. He said, she didn't want to take any of his feedback, but what he was saying was really relevant. And they ended up doing everything that he suggested, you know, she very begrudgingly and she, you know, it sounds like, you know, she wouldn't admit it, but they did end up changing everything and, um, and, you Mm -hmm. know, really trying, because I think that's the thing about Queen Elizabeth is that, um, she has always been so far away from the people, which is, you know, one of the reasons why it seemed like her family really hated Diana because Diana was always with the people, right. And, and so connected with the people where Elizabeth was always so so disconnected, um, even when she was young, you know, and in this time when you think of people as vivacious and um, and and having lots of energy, she was still even at that point really distant and did not want to be connected with her people in that way. Um, but in order to maintain a monarchy, she really had to do it. You know, she had to be on video for the Christmas um, show and she, she really had to try and connect more. Although her, her connecting more was probably, uh, you know, nothing to what later Diana would do. Right. Just always being with the people mm-hmm. being out there. But, um, 
you know, just really, um, it's clear that she's an introvert, you know, and, and that's got to be a difficult thing to be a queen, you know, the reign over, over all these people and, and not want to, you know, not be that energetic voice or charismatic person that, um, leaders usually are, you know, and, or, um, and you think of. Yeah, and you can you can really see that when she, uh, you know, starts looking comparing herself with Jackie Kennedy, oh, right? Yeah. Now Jackie Kennedy is just this, you know, above bigger than life woman at the time, right? Everyone looked to her, everyone knew who she was, and you know, she made herself known. She put her footprint out there, and you could see it. And then even how she acts with her sister, right? When she says, "You were made to be a queen." Like, you know, this life is what you want. This is for you. And I didn't want it. I just yeah. wanted to live a simple life almost. Well, what's interesting so, is yeah. how, how she, how Elizabeth keeps making comparisons to Jackie O. Like, um, you know, like we're the same age and we're, um, you know, and everybody thinks they are so um, different. You know what I mean? That they really are very, very similar. They're both um, leaders of a country, right? Obviously, Jackie O in, in the form of First Lady and her actually reigning as the queen. But, um, you know, they're the same age. And yet, um, Jackie O is so charismatic. And But how is it that Jackie O can make such a disaster of protocol when she's introduced, right? And and they and they do everything wrong, and yet nobody faults her for it, right? She can break all the rules, and everybody still loves her, right? Yeah. And the it queen was, can't do uh, any that of that. Episode... Any misstep that the queen makes, she is criticized for, right? But Jackie O can get away with anything. That's what I found really. Right. Yeah. That was that was an interesting episode. I mean, right from the start, they just walk up and shake her hand, and everyone's like, "Can, can she do that? Yeah. Are, are, are they allowed to do this?" And no one knows what to do. The queen well, the doesn't know what to do. They can't do that. They're not awkward. allowed to do. And they don't tell. They don't call them the right names. They don't use any of the protocol. And it's funny. Then you see the the her her personal secretary saying, "I sent all of the information. Like they knew they had all the rules, all the protocols. They should have been prepared for this meeting, and they weren't. Like." It, it really goes to show how they, they didn't care because they're so used to just going and doing whatever they want, you know, at the Kennedys, right? And everybody adores them no matter what they do. And the queen is it doesn't have that privilege, right? She has to follow every single protocol and every rule that has been created um, for centuries, right? Mm-hmm. Which is an yeah. interesting dynamic, according to because of what you brought up earlier. How you know there's it's a season of change, so some things are changing, but other things are definitely not right. Like she she struggles with her marriage quite a bit, and yet she knows she can never get divorced as the queen. Right? She cannot get divorced. Otherwise, what would happen? It would the would be oh, the yeah. same thing that happened to her uncle. Right? He would be. Um, yeah, well, as head of the church, she can't be. It's tradition. The king's not king or queen's not going to be divorced. Uh, period. And it, I mean, it starts out with that, right? Yeah. Immediately, the it, the the whole season starts out just like that. And she looks at him and says, "You know, we can't get divorced. Yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah." And uh, definitely interesting. Um, one thing that, about this season too, um, I I don't know if I liked it. And maybe it's because of how they, you know, wrote her in. But the Queen's sister um, is is almost a prominent 
prominent storyline in this one. We get to learn a lot about her after the whole Major Townsend thing, right? You know, she was denied to get married to him in the first season. And as much as the queen wanted to, I mean, even in this season, she says, look, I I wanted you to marry him. The crown couldn't allow it. And the crown will always win kind of, you know, the idea, you know, what the queen said or her grandmother said in the first season. And we get to see a lot of her story. I mean, did you like that storyline? What did you think about you know, learning more about her sister who is just, you know, almost a breach of protocol herself? Well, I think it was clear that they, I mean, that uh, the story of her sister definitely brings out how the crown rules the people who belong to it. Um, they, it's almost like they want you to feel sorry for her. I'm not quite sure. I do feel sorry for her, um, but <laughs> but they want you to feel sorry for her, um, you know. But but I think what's interesting is she's so resentful that she can't marry Townsend. And frankly, I mean Townsend, she she I I think she almost loves him that much because she couldn't have him. Like I don't know if he really would have been that great of a match. He'd already been divorced, you know. Really, like yes, they they were in love, I guess, but. You know, who knows if it was really going to last, but the whole, the whole, Mm -hmm. um, because she couldn't marry him, then, then she does sort of immortalize what that relationship would have been when who's to say that it really would have been that great. But the funny thing is then her next pick is really a terrible pick, right? She, she marries like the worst possible option. And then, you know, the queen supports it all, although begrudgingly, but she supports it. And then, of course, she gets divorced. Not, um, not, I don't think they even made it to 15 years or something, right? In 1972, then she was divorced. So, um, so, so it didn't last all that long. She just wanted to be able to say she got married, which is really interesting because the new husband didn't like the idea of being married from the get-go, right? From the moment he met her, he was saying how awful marriage is. So it's just really oh, yeah. funny that, that uh, you know, she, she does decide to marry him. And she has really basically her pick of anybody, right? And that's the guy she, she comes up with. So it's just kind of funny. Yeah, no, yeah, it was interesting. And they almost married each other out of... Uh, um, I don't know if it was obligation or expectancy, right? Even he was doing it for his mom. Well, I he, so he's an artist, right? Do you remember his name? I can't remember his name. Uh, Fred. I, I don't remember. <laughs> um, so he's um, an artist, and he's um, his mom does want him to get married, although he doesn't want to really be married. Um, I don't know that his mom expected he would ever marry the queen's sister, you so know. he's not royalty or anything? No. no. He's oh, an artist. Anthony Armstrong Jones. Yeah, he was a photographer. And so he they met because he was photographing um, the... Someone's wedding. Somebody's wedding. Right? And she was there and she saw him as the photographer of the wedding and then she ran into him a couple of other places, and so then they. Um, she asked him. She she had this. The the crown's photographer had um, taken her birthday pictures, and she hated them because he made her look like a Cinderella type princess. 
So it was not real. It was this whole um, fantasy, basically. And so she wanted real photographs taken of her. And so she called up this guy. What's his name? You said? Uh, Anthony Armstrong Jones. So she, she, she... She gets Anthony um, to take her pictures, and he takes pictures of her that make her look like she's nude. So she's got this dress, and he pulls the shoulder sleeves down, um, and he takes this picture with the framing above the dress. So her shoulders are exposed, and the very next morning, this picture of the queen's sister is is on the front page of the newspaper looking like she's nude. You know, so they're like, again, another scandal that the sister brings into the queen's life. So every at every turn, mm-hmm. the queen's trying to avoid scandal, and her sister is... Uh, you know, doing something new to <laughs> to get attention, oh, right? Yeah. Because her entire life, her sister, the queen, has gotten all of the attention, and she just really plays this like "woe is me" kind of a card, you know that that she just has never mm-hmm. gotten anything and can't do anything and has no ability um, to be her own person, and so um, <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Yeah. For me, I don't know about for you, but for me, probably my favorite part of this season has been watching Philip really come into his own, right? Really decide like, okay, like um, I I am sick of uh, just being your husband. You know, I'm an important person and I need to be important. And even in history, right about this time, he, he does initiate a lot of changes throughout the castle, a lot of the, this. And that was probably my favorite part, you know, to watch him kind of, you know, take charge. It did make me feel a little bit bad about his son, right? Charles, who he sends to that school and his son just did not want to be there. And it, uh, that kind of broke my heart a little bit. But. Yeah, <laughs> Philip definitely wanted his son to follow in his footsteps and to be and do everything that he had done. Um, and he he didn't listen to Charles' needs, right? He thought, that school gave me what I needed, so it's definitely going to do the same thing for Charles. And he just didn't listen to to the child, right? He he didn't listen to Charles. He didn't listen to the queen either. She was she was very clear about this wasn't the right place for him, and mm-hmm. um and Philip didn't listen. It had been a good choice for him, and so he forced him to go there, and it was awful for Charles. It was really interesting to see um to see Charles struggle that way. Um, uh, I, I agree with you. I thought it was really good how they showed that Philip. Um, you know, he he basically said. It, it was really interesting how he he said, um, "My son has a a higher title than I do," and the queen's well, yeah, you know, he's gonna be king, and he's like, "But I'm his father, you know, like I, I'm I'm the man. He's not an adult yet. I shouldn't have a lower title than my son, right? He needs mm-hmm. direction. He needs guidance. So I should have a title to give him those things, you know." So I, you know, and it was, it was when, you know, as once the queen acquiesced to that and acknowledged that, yeah, he should be more than a, um, than a duke and he should become a prince. And when she allowed that, then he really came into his own. Um, I did think it was really sad how, you know, the queen basically gave him permission to have affairs when he wanted to, to, you know, to, to fulfill his needs. And this poor lady is pregnant waiting you know can't he's gone 
to to have a a little jaunt with some other woman and she can't even tell him that she's pregnant you know what i mean like how absent is that and then he's like telling her that hey i'm here for you and she's like if only right and he's like what do you mean mm-hmm. if only like well duh if only you were gone to the swiss alps for goodness sake you know what i mean you you, you weren't here when she really really did need his guidance and his support so um, but it was really great to see him say, you know, h- him acknowledge that that wasn't right and that he he actually did need to be there for her. And and even though she was allowing him to have that permission, he wasn't going to use it anymore. He was going to be there for her and he was going to, um, you know, be what she needed, which was his responsibility. And her father had been really clear with that from the very beginning. Uh, yes. Yeah, no, um... It, okay, it's but definitely I feel like show. we have to talk about one thing for sure. Okay. Um, What's that? So, did it bother you that she was completely asleep for the birth of her third child? Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> kind of strange, right? So, I did some research on this, and it's called Twilight Birth. Um and it was practiced um, for a bit during that time, and I think sometimes even now, but um, but more during that time. And during that time, um, they were giving and administrating drugs that actually were were lethal at times. So it was it was a dangerous thing. Um, but I I you know they didn't talk a lot about it. It was almost like they put the scene in there, but they didn't give any context or anything like that, you know, so I thought that was interesting. Um, but, but kind of like, you know, like the queen can't be bothered with any of the minutia of what a normal person has to do. Right. So she, so she doesn't even need to go into labor, right? You know, she can have a baby without even being, having to feel the pain of it, which you know, it was just crazy. So I actually did appreciate in the fourth birth that she was very much awake for that one. But uh, <laughs> that was crazy to me. Yeah. No, I saw that and I didn't really, I was just kind of like, this is strange, right? I mean, I've never given birth to kids or anything. So I don't really know, right? But um, no, it, it was definitely, definitely different. So overall for me, I give The Crown Season 2, uh, I mean, easy I'm going to give it an A minus, actually. And I give it an A minus because I, I took some points away at, on a personal level because I, I just, it's hard for me to watch about Margaret. I don't know why. I just, for some reason, I, I get sick of her incessant whining, you know, like, just like, oh my goodness, your life's so hard. How do you survive? You live in a palace and get everything you want. Man, how do you do it? And then uh, I took a little bit away for season, for episode seven. Kind of like I talked to you about it. Uh, I talked to you about it before. It, uh, you had seen it. Is that I felt like it was an overabundance of of nudity for zero reason. I completely agree. It was it was completely superfluous. Um, we could have gotten the picture that um, that the artist was you know not a really good fit without having all of that if if anything like one scene would have done it we didn't need to see half an episode dedicated to this guy to know he was a bad 
pick. You know what I mean? So I completely mm-hmm. agree with that. It was unnecessary. Um, I would have liked to have seen more about them actually dating together um, to, to, to find out, you know, how that went um, more than his personal life, I think. Um, I, I, I think it was almost put just put in there just because they could, not because it really added more to the story. Completely agree with that. Um, I... I I really liked it. I, I agree. A minus is probably pretty accurate because I did find the rest of it very interesting. Um, and, you know, from my sense, truthful, at least, you know, they didn't make it, they didn't show it all roses. They did show a lot of the challenges and, um, and, and yet they did also show good things too. So I thought it was balanced. Yeah, definitely. So as last question for you, what do you think of no Clairefoy for season three? Uh, is she out? Uh, apparently this is, uh, Rochelle doesn't know. Um, <laughs> I, I totally didn't know this. <laughs> um, Claire Foy will no longer be playing Queen Elizabeth in wow. the third season. And they're doing this because, I mean, I don't know who saw the Tudors, but, you know, the King Ages, the seasons go on. And, you know, you got to try to make the king look older. And I know there's a lot of complaints about that. Like uh, the the guy's, you know, in his mid-20s and you're trying to make him look like a 70-year-old king. It just doesn't work. Same thing with the Claire Foy. Queen Elizabeth's getting older now. I mean, you're talking – you're getting into 20 20 years of her reign. And so they want to try to make the character look older. So they brought in a new – a new person to play her. Oh, interesting. And uh, so they're replacing Claire Foy. Well, I think Claire Foy did a fabulous job. So they, the, she set the bar really high. So it'll be interesting to see if, if, if the replacement does a good job. I mean, honestly, with the advanced, the makeup artist can make her look that old. Frankly, I think she could, could definitely do it. I don't, I don't see the reason to change. And she had done a phenomenal job here. I think when they changed the actor, you, you definitely, um, it, I don't know. I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if that was a good if that was a good decision or not because she's done such a phenomenal job um, portraying the queen. Who's the new actor? Olivia Coleman. Do you guys know who that is? Uh. Uh-uh. She played. Uh, she plays in the murder on the Orient Express. Did you see that? Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. She plays uh, Hilde, Hildegard Schmidt. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Well, that'll be, I think Claire Foy is, is phenomenal. Um, I think she's really portrayed the queen well, and I think they could make her look as old as she needed to look. I thought they didn't do any aging of her, at least that was visible to me, um, on these seasons. So they, they could have at least done one more season with her. Um, you know, maybe not portraying the queen when she's 80, but certainly when she's 50, (laughs) you know what I mean? She could. Well, Yeah. It makes you wonder how far they're going to skip, right? And I yeah. wonder if we're going to see in this next season it get up to Princess Diana. Well, that's what I was going to say. Is, because right now we're in the mid-60s, so she still would be fairly young in the 60s and 70s. So they must be skipping to the Diana stage, right? Because that's the next significant thing that happens in in mm-hmm. in their life. But it would be, I mean, my guess is that they'll they'll show Charles as an adult and him, you know, like 
needing to settle down and trying to find who that's going to be with and showing Prince Philip pressuring him because Prince Philip definitely put a lot of pressure on him um, to either marry Diana or to cut it off, you know, and it'll be interesting Mm -hmm. to see because they, you know, they should, they'll, I mean, they'll have to put in um, his different relationships because he had two affairs before he even married Diana. We, we always hear about, um, about the one, but he actually had another woman that competed. Um, and so they were both competing, but neither one of them could be married because they were um, not good matches. And so they married other people, and yet he carried on affairs with both of them while he was married to Diana. So it'll be interesting to see how they, um, how they tell that story. Well, didn't he have something, like he knew and ha- Camilla before he knew Diana, right? He knew Camilla way before he knew Diana. In fact, he knew Camilla before Camilla was married. He also knew another woman, and I forget her name. Um, and he had affairs with both of both of them. He met when they were before they were married. But because they both had been, I guess you could call them playgirl type gals. You know, they had tarnished reputations. Um, he was not eligible mm-hmm. to marry either one of them. Although Camilla, I think, always stood out as as the woman for him, but she had a tarnished reputation. So she married um, she married before he was engaged to Diana. And then he had this other woman who also was like very, very tarnished. And so she married someone else as well, but they were both fighting for his affection. The whole time he courted Diana. And then the one um, kind of fell off because she actually kind of went a little bit crazy. And so then Camilla definitely won that that spot of mistress. But, um, you know, I mean, if if it hadn't been for the decisions of the crown that we've been talking about, um, Charles would have married Camilla over anybody. Um, it would Hands down, it would have been Camilla, but because she wasn't... Um, a pick that the crown would allow, he had to marry someone else like Diana. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it'll be really well, interesting. definitely interesting. I mean, good show. Definitely go watch it. Um, some good uh, mid 20th century history lessons going on in Random Angst. Tell your friends. <laughs> um, so, no, we, we like it. And uh, Rochelle, we'd like to thank you for coming on. Uh, we, we enjoy having you. So, hopefully, we can have you again. But uh, so, Justin, what do you think? Are you going to watch it? I mean, you haven't really watched it. I know. Does it sound interesting when we yeah, talked about it? Or you... I mean, it's it's history, so it's pertinent. And just the way they dramatize it sounds like it's it's enjoyable. So, yeah, definitely. Is it on Netflix? Yeah. Is that what it is? Or Hulu or what? Netflix. Yep. It's a Netflix show. Okay. Uh, so full seasons when it comes out. So you have, you know. You'll probably watch it in two days, but uh, yeah. uh, good, definitely a good series worth seeing. And um, uh, it's uh, another one of those guilty pleasure shows for me, you know, yeah. <laughs> kind of well, like weird. I said, I've I like seen it. parts of it here and there, and the parts that I did see were interesting. So, and I asked questions to Rochelle about, hey, what's going on here? So, yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. How many season or how many episodes per season? Ten. Ten. Oh, so not yeah. bad at all. Nope. Yep. And the good episodes, they're, they're all pretty relevant. Like it moves along just fine. Um, I, you don't really get anything where it just kind of stagnates out, which is nice. Yeah. Good. Cool. Yeah. I'll watch it sometime and I'll pipe in when I'm done and let you know what I think. 
Sweet, sweet, sweet. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us today in episode 14 with Random Angst. And we hope you guys have a a fun and happy new year. And that 2018 is, is a good year for you. Once again, you can join us on Facebook at Random Angst and join in the conversation there. Uh, there's always posts going on there and you can give us your two cents and let us know what you're thinking. We are going to start the Marvel movie rewatch in anticipation of the Avengers movie coming out in May. So that's basically one um, Marvel movie per week of the Avengers, starting with Captain America, the first Avenger. So we'll be doing that. So you can join us there and participate and have a conversation with us there. We're also on Twitter at twitter.com slash randomangst. You can listen to us on soundcloud.com slash randomangst. This podcast is hosted there. And you can also find us on iTunes. If you search for Random Angst on iTunes, you can pull up our podcast and listen to all our episodes, starting with episode zero. Um, we have improved over the, the weeks, so definitely this episode is one of our better ones. But if you feel like you want to go back and listen to some more, you can. Uh, but yeah, definitely join us there on those sites and join the conversation. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about... Um, the Marvel movies are watching as well as probably some more feedback on the last Jedi that we didn't get to today. And Mark is playing a new game, the darkest dungeon. So we'll, we'll address that. Uh, any last minute thoughts for you, Mark? Uh, you know, just kind of reiterate. Thanks so much for listening to us. We've enjoyed the year so far. Uh, we'd like to tell everyone happy new year and we look forward to, uh, 2018 getting better and talking about more stuff and, uh, you know, next time we'll definitely talk, you know, get into more, more things. Uh, like Justin said, Darkest Dungeon. Uh, if you haven't seen it or played it and you like to play games, it's on Steam, on sale for $10 right now. It's an amazing game. Um, we'll get more into it next time about it. Justin will download it and play it as well. Probably wow. not, but <laughs> but uh, it's a little too advanced for him. It's uh, in 2D, so I don't know if he could handle it quite. Yeah, but but it's <laughs> I'm used to the Zork. <laughs> it's a fun, yeah. It's a you know you have to push like two buttons at once. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But um, uh, no, thanks for listening and uh, any feedback. Uh, let us know. Share share our posts. Uh, get on our Facebook, like our page. Uh, we'd like to hear from you. So thank you. Yep. All right. Well, thanks again for listening to us and we'll catch you next time. See you guys.